You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians network. Find more great shows like this at wearelibertarians.com. All right, let's get back to some boring subjects. Understand the risk to our country. Freedom brings people together. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to We Are Libertarians. My name is Chris Spangle, and it is a very special episode tonight. I am rejoined by my two original co-hosts, Creighton and Chris Galt. And Galt is his real last name. So stay tuned. We're going to talk about that. Creighton is in New York City, and he is a math nerd. And so we're going to talk a lot about this. So uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome to the program. Again, my name is Chris Spangle. It's great to see all of you here tonight, continuing our coverage of COVID-19. And every single day, it just gets a little bit uh, scarier and scarier. Um, and uh, I don't know that this is going to help. So, <laughs> <laughs> But we are joined uh, tonight by uh, two great friends, two people who were involved in the uh, original cast of We Are Libertarians, if you want to call it a cast. Uh, it, it, so this started in March of 2018. Let me turn this off here. So March of uh, 2012, excuse me. And in March of 2012... Uh, I sat down with Chris Galt and Creighton Harrington. I knew Chris pretty well. Chris, how are you doing? Great. Good to see you. Great surviving out there. Yeah. yeah. And uh, see if you can get a little closer to that mic. Still no no mic technique to speak of. And it's only been eight years. <laughs> oh, you guys can't hear me very well? It's, you're just a little far from the mic. And then uh, he was like, I know this guy named Creighton, who I legitimately thought your name was like Clayton for the first like month. Uh, and we did the podcast for the first 30 episodes until Chris took a swing at Creighton. And then that was it. <laughs> Literally yeah, got into well, a fist fight. He was my still running back and he tackled me. And that was the end of it. <laughs> if you go if you go back into the past episodes, like around episode 20 or so, you uh, you can hear uh, the, the fight. 2025. We're very passionate about what we believe in. We were talking about conspiracy theories, actually. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Which you guys will talk about freely now. Isn't that funny? It it is, because it's a different time than it was eight years ago. And and do whatever you can possibly do to make that mic sound better or get closer to your mic. (laughs) Um, Switch to see if you've got, like, Bluetooth headphones or something. Uh, So That's what I'm using. All right. So maybe switch over to the, uh, to the, the computer mic. So here's the thing. Galt wanted to talk about fluoride in the water. And it was like August of 2012. And you just didn't talk about conspiracies openly in 2012, especially if you were a libertarian. And Creighton was like, no, we're not going to talk about this because you can't talk about that. It's, it's no, you'll sound like a total nut job. Well, we're all Alex Jones now. And I find it to be the weirdest timeline that we're living now because all of these, you guys have been libertarians like 10 years too. All of those Ron Paul, Doom Paul memes, it's happening. All that feels like it's coming true. And so I never know if I'm too paranoid because I've just been bathing in conspiracy soup around libertarians for so long. Or if like this is a big holy crap uh, and we're we're headed we're headed towards the happening. Um, 
you know, I think it it is still weird to see people out there kind of going, I don't believe this. This is all a hoax. And I just go, there are like 12 people who had this in late December and now it's 300,000. Like, what more evidence do you need? Like, I, 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 is it bizarre for you guys to have been libertarian so long and to have heard the end of the world scenario, the collapsitarian scenario, and then to live through this and like so much of that is kind of happening? I mean, this is like a, this isn't a libertarian scenario. This is a epidemiologist scenario. <laughs> like this is the kind of stuff that I'm sure that's in like when they go to school, this is the first stuff they cover is, yeah, so this is what would happen and basically what's happening. Yeah. Like, the government response to it is predictable, but like it is, this is, this is very surreal and that is Creighton, who I, I did not properly introduce. Uh, he is in New York City, and we'll get to kind of what's happening there in a moment. But, Galt, what is your initial reactions to I some mean, of this? Creighton used to make fun of me about it. I was, I'm definitely a doomsday planner. I mean, I had shelter stocked full of food. I've got ammo out the wazoo. I'm ready for this. I hope everyone else is. <laughs> uh, I'm not a I'm not a prepper, but I because I've been around preppers so long, I knew what not to buy and what to buy. Like your <laughs> your tap is going to work. You didn't need to buy so much of uh, the the bottled water and and things like what that not to buy and what. So excuse me, I'm I'm fixing things behind the scenes. Um, so Creighton, you're in New York City. What's going on there? Literally nothing. Like. Yeah, they're making it sound like on TV that it's like some Hollywood movie kind of thing or something like Red Dawn or something going on. But it's like it's not. It's it's just there's just really boring. <laughs> like there's no one out. There's nothing to do. Uh, so you're literally just hanging out in your apartment watching TV, playing video games all day, which, you know, sounds great. I, I'm lucky enough to be able to work from home. So, uh, you know, I, I've been in the apartment or like it'll be home work from home stay home for 2 weeks uh on Tuesday so uh and it looks like that's just going to keep going for I don't know probably another month at least have you um, have you gone out at all yeah yeah like there's no rule even the thing tonight the the shelter in place order uh tonight that's that only says that you can't like like, like he, he basically is saying all of the workers who are non-essential have to stay home. They not that they have, they have they can't go to work, and like if you go outside, you're supposed to stay six feet away from people, and you can still go get groceries. And I think it's like the Italian style uh, lockdown, uh, but like the idea that you're not going to be allowed to leave your apartment is technically not true. Uh, they're not going to have like you know, cops sitting at the front door, making sure you don't leave. It's uh, but like, if you go outside and you like hang out with like a group of five people in the corner, then the cops will probably come and break it up. But like, you know, it's, it's not, it's not like red dawn or anything, which seems to be the impression I've been getting like, Oh my God, what's it like in New York? So I haven't literally just like everybody's inside their apartment. I I haven't gone looking for this, but I've not seen it. I don't know that. Like here locally, they can ticket you or they can put you in jail. Like, I think that everybody's like, oh, this is the authoritarian government. I mean, 
if you're walking around New York City, like, are you going to get a ticket? Are they going to arrest you or are they just kind of so tell you to I move along? I haven't tried to do that, so I don't know. Um, but probably not. Um, like, like I said, like you're allowed to go to the grocery store. You're allowed to go to the pharmacy. You're allowed to go to a bank. I can't imagine that if you were just walking and cops like, yo, where are you going? Be like, I'm going to go up to this, this grocery store right over here. Like, you just tell them where you're going. Like, granted, that's like, as a libertarian, that's like, yeah, here you are. Get out of here. Yeah, it's not your business. Like, <laughs> Am I being like, detained? Yeah, like, I get it. But I'm just saying that, like, it isn't, it isn't kind of the, uh, what, the, the kind of cliche sort of lockdown what what like the siege or something like right. it isn't it isn't like that not yet <laughs> do do you have concerns uh oh somebody turned off their headphones do you have concerns that things might uh get worse there do you think that they like i had i had a friend in new york city i was like you need to come home <laughs> like get out of there uh, well may, so i don't really anticipate that they're going to do anything like to prevent you from leaving your apartment. Like the only thing left to do is to like literally like station people out in front of all these apartment buildings and not let anyone go. Like all the restaurants are closed. So you can't go to a restaurant that isn't takeout. Uh, You can't go to bars, obviously. Uh, I I mean, they closed all the gyms, the museums, like all that kind of stuff. That's all closed. So like the only people who were able to go to work, up until this Sunday to, or the end of the day today, the only people who were able to go to work were everyone else, right? Like mm-hmm. you could go into the office if you wanted to, they were encouraging people to work from home for a while. And my, my, my business, we've been working home. Like we weren't required, but everyone was trying to work from home. And like I said, I've been doing it since last Tuesday. Uh, so it was just sort of like everybody who wasn't considered essential was still allowed to go to work. And if that meant like, I don't know, like you worked as like a construction worker or something, you were still going. It seems like now they're saying no one's going to work outside of their house um, unless they work at like a hospital or a grocery store or a pharmacy or a bank or something like that. Uh, so like the only thing left to do other than that would be to close all that st- other stuff down. And like, you'd have to have like, Wuhan style, they're delivering groceries to you in your apartment. And you're welded. Like, you're welded in. Yeah. So, I d- I don't I don't honestly think that. Uh, and Galt, you obviously are the more conspiratorial one of us, but I honestly don't think that it the American people would ever let it get to that point. Like I think everybody a weekend is already getting a little antsy and going. All right, this is starting to be some bullshit. I want out of here. Like, I, I don't yeah. know that I, I heard people say this is the beginning of the end. They're going to lock us all down. These restaurants and bars are never going to reopen. It's like, do you really think that society at large is going to go from having all the choice of restaurants they want to the government permanently shutting those things down and not letting that exist like that just doesn't the American people do have a limit to some of this. They're willing to save grandma. But like there is going to come a time probably within two to three weeks where they're going to start looking at at governments and go, what are we doing here? I need to get to work. I can't pay my bills. I want to go back to Hooters. Like, what are we doing? (laughs) I got you could have shook your head. Do you disagree? Oh, yeah. I mean, 
that's why they're putting in the uh, cash payouts in the bailout bill for everyone is is uh, to get support for both sides to uh, to lessen that impact on individuals and to stop dissent. Um, you know, they, they want everyone to agree and be on board, and everyone thinks that a quick cash payout is going to fix everybody's problems, and uh, that's why they're all going to support it. You know, if the Founding Fathers were alive today, they would have already, before this started, said, wow, I never thought that we'd erode this far. And and so it's all about perspective. If you go back to the beginning of America, we've eroded long before this, this event. So um, to think that Americans aren't stupid enough to uh, or, or ignorant enough to uh, let this go through without any kind of fight is, uh, I think that's, that's exactly. You, you really think that I'm going to be bought off for $1,200? No, but your neighbor is. So my opinion on all that is I think right now everybody is sort of on no, the No, no, no. Call him stupid like the old days. Let's get it going here. <laughs> no, but listen. I think everybody right now is on the same page and we're all kind of like, we're all, I think everyone's in like this sort of like, like the only way you can really describe it is like a post 9-11 mentality. Yeah. Where everyone's kind of on the same page. We're all ready to put in our word, you know, we're all ready for this, you know, like, all right, let's do this. But I do think that that'll fade away at the end of April, I think will be the point where people will start making decisions on whether or not this is going to last. Because I've been seeing some stuff where they're talking about like 18 months, we'll have to do this until we can get a vaccine. And I'm just like, there is no way that it will, that people will be able to do this for 18 months. Zero percent chance. Nor should we accept, nor should we accept one fifth, one quarter, half of the economy just eroding away and evaporating away. Yeah. It just isn't going to happen. I get it. Right. I understand totally what they're doing here. Like, you know, it, it, you got to get people to stop interacting with each other for some time so that this can slow down. And, you know, I get it. But like at the end of April, like I thought, and honestly, me personally, I think that's what's happening. I think that they're doing all this stuff because they know they need to, and they're hoping for like the best outcome possible by the end of April. But like at the end of April, if stuff hasn't really gotten together and people aren't really like, if the numbers aren't looking very much better by the end of April, like I can't imagine that they would just be like, well, we're gonna have to try a different strategy or something. Cause like, at that point and be like, all right, we're going to go take all of the people who are immunocompromised and we're going to like put them somewhere and quarantine them rather than quarantine everybody. And, you know, I, that, I mean, that that's where I think that it'll play out because there's just too much. There's just no way that like, they're going to keep people locked down in some of these places for 18 months. What, like, there's what, just no way. what do you think Galt? You underestimate the power of the national guard. Um, I think that that is absolutely possible, but I don't think that this lasts that long. Um, we'll see. It may be too late to start talking about America post coronavirus, but I think our, our, um, I think our economy will look a lot different. I think we will lose about a fifth of what we have now. Um, it will eventually be replaced by something else, just like the market always does. But, um, <clears throat> I imagine uh, the death of retail in a, in a large part. Um, I think that uh, retail has already already been in trouble for the last five to ten years, and it's only been getting worse for them. And I think that this is the dagger for retail. A, a lot of uh, small businesses and a lot of large businesses will cut back on the size of their retail operations 
and head towards a more online approach, a more a more to your to your door approach. And that's and I think that's going to be um, where our economy grows is um, is after this is over and during it, uh, we're going to adapt and find new ways to get food, to get supplies, to get things that we need, and be social with each other through other means than um, sitting in a restaurant or going shopping. Um, I think that those days are gone, and I think that that'll become more clear as this uh, goes on. I totally agree with you. I think that this has several big effects. Just a two, the two-week event is enough to really change the behavior of a lot of entertainers who said, all right, I need to start building my online platform and I can build. They're doing what we have done at We Are Libertarians for eight years now, which is I need to build an online community. And I need, I've never had more people ask me how to do a video chat and Zoom than I have in the last week. Businesses like, you know, these, these firms that normally would not be wanting to build online communities with their customer base are, are asking how to do that sort of thing. Uh, I think that this may be potentially problematic and that it drives us more uh, 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 deeper, isolated away from each other, less social in physical the physical realm. But I think this is the beginning of kind of what the Yang Gang folks, that sector has talked about in terms of remote work, uh, robotic work, like... Uh, and I just think that this was an opportunity for a lot of people to go, you know what, Tony at work is really a problem, but we can't fire him because we don't really have a reason. Well, Tony's not going to be back at work, so there may be some gain productivity there. Um, let me go to, let me read an article from the Wall Street Journal. It's from their editorial board, and it says, Rethinking the coronavirus shutdown. No society can safeguard both public health for long at the cost of its economic health. Financial markets paused their slide Thursday, but no one should think this rolling economic calamity is over. If this government-ordered shutdown continues for much more than another week or two, the human cost of job losses and bankruptcies will exceed what most Americans imagine. This won't be popular to read in some quarters, but federal and state officials need to start adjusting their antivirus strategy now to avoid an economic recession that will dwarf the harm from 2008-2009. The vast social distancing project of the last 10 days or so has been necessary and has done much good. Warnings about large gatherings of more than 10 people and limiting access to nursing homes will save lives. The public has received a crucial education in hygiene and disease prevention, and even young people may get the message. With any luck, this behavior will change, will reduce the coronavirus spread enough that our hospitals won't be overwhelmed with patients. Yet the cost of this national shutdown are growing by the hour, and we, won't, and we don't mean federal spending. We mean a tsunami of economic destruction that will cause tens of millions to lose their jobs as commerce and production simply cease. Many large companies can withstand a few weeks without revenue, but that isn't true of millions of small and mid-sized firms. Even cash-rich businesses operate on a thin margin and can bleed through reserves in a month. First, they will lay off employees, and then out of necessity, they will shut down. Another month like this week, and the layoffs will be measured in millions of people. The deadweight loss in production will be profound and take years to rebuild. In a normal recession, the U.S. loses about 5% of national output over the course of a year or so. In this case, we may lose that much or twice as much in a single month. So in a normal recession, we use 5% of national output in a year. We may lose that this month. Well, did you see the, uh, the S&P? Uh the, the crash over the past since since January or no since December, uh, the S and P has lost more value 
than it did there in the entirety of the 2008 financial crisis. Yeah. All that Trump bump, that record gains, all that was gone basically in a week. Yeah. So uh, well, that's because the, the reality is our economy is set up where all these businesses, most of them operate in a, in a, in a cycle of debt where they uh, they're just like normal people. If you if normal people that are listening, I'm sure have credit card problems and, and you know, other bills and things that they have to take care of. Um, businesses are straddled with that debt as well. And that's and that's because of the way we've set up our system so that these businesses, they, they take they take loans for everything that they need. Some of them even take loans to buy their own company stocks. So um, and, 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 th- and this has never been stopped. It's never been. It, it's it's something that we allow. And um, it's eroded. It, it's the reason, eroded that, the reason this happens is because credit is so stupid cheap. Yeah. And it's so stupid cheap by policy. It's, you know, it wouldn't be a libertarian podcast if we didn't talk about how much the central bank has to play with the fact that the reason our economy is on such shaky footing and something like this just destro- could potentially destroy it has a lot to do with the fact that our the artificial credit expansion of the past 25 years, 30 years almost has made it such that, you know, you can't handle this kind of stuff. Like you have to have a consistently growing stock market in order for some of these people to, to make it out. Like, you know, their equity gets wiped out the minute their stock price goes down and like you can't, that's not a sustainable business model. And a lot of that is, I mean, it, it is policy and like a lot of people are talking about how this recession, the coronavirus is going to cause this recession. That's true. Like, you know, when you don't have people working, like by definition, your output goes down when people are just consuming less. And which is what we're asking them to do is to literally just, you know, do less commerce. Like it's natural that that would cause a recession. The question is whether or not it's going to kick off a recession that's larger than it otherwise could have been. Um, and if it's larger than it otherwise could have been, that more than likely means that it popped a bubble. That everyone sort of has been thinking is there, but no one really knows where it's at. Meaning the credit and, bubble, like and yeah, so like the the the, the more, I guess the, the, I think I think that yeah, there's like this problem now of like, well, what happens when all of these businesses have like I I mean, there's been stories of like Boeing having to call in loans uh, early. Uh, I think Heinz Ketchup called in a loan early, like there's like a lot of stories about how these businesses are like running through credit and that's what they're trying to do to get cash flow. And, you know, some of these guys, you know, shot themselves in the foot, right? Like, you know, I think uh, Boeing or something did a bunch of stock buybacks and they're getting a lot of heat for that because they did a stock buyback. And now they're like complaining they need a bailout. And it's like, you know, if you bought back your own stock so that, you know, that's probably, you know, that was a bad call. Uh, But like, I guess the question on everyone's mind is whether or not this, this bubble is there and it'll pop because of this. Um, Because like, if you look at like the growth of the S and P up until 2000 uh, and you have the uh, dot-com bubble pops in uh, 2001, if you look at the growth of the S and P over all that time, there's like a, there's like a, around the beginning of the eighties, there's kind of a, a little bit of a growth trend that's not too crazy. And then you get like the 90s and that's when Greenspan started doing his stuff. And that's when you start seeing the stock market shoot up. And then the 2001 dot-com bubble brings it back down. And then it comes right back on that track a little bit. It like starts growing at the sort of same rate. And then you get the housing crisis bubble. Housing market goes up, 
bubble. And then, and then you have to get out of that. We have this gigantic one. It's just like, you, if you, you just look at the S and P trend line over the past, like 60 years, it's amazing. It's like an exponential growth. And like the way I see it is if this is like truly going to be a bubble popping recession and we'll probably be back down to like the, at the stock market being valued where it would have been had all of these bubbles never happened, which would be right around like the 1000 for this S and P, which would be a ridiculous drop, but that's, that's my kind of like, anticipated worst case scenario for the economy is that the the stock market breaks all the way down to where it would have been had we never had like the dot-com bubble or the housing bubble or all of the stuff to get us out of those bubbles because in my mind that's that's where that's where it realistically would probably go okay so and they make the point in this article they talk about how you know 20 percent unemployment or a loss of gdp of 20 percent um and kind of what you're talking about, I'm sure there's people out there going, ah, this is just money. You guys are all thinking about money. What about the human cost? And we'll talk about the trade-off between how how do we keep an economy going versus how do we save lives? Because Creighton's been all over the numbers of the exponential spread of this thing and has some interesting insights there too. But they they continue, if GDP seems abstract, consider the human cost. Think about the entrepreneur who has invested his life in his Memphis rib joint only to see his customers vanish in a week. Or the retail chain of 30 stores that employs hundreds but sees no sales and must shut its doors. Or the recent college graduate with $20,000 in student loan debt taken on with the encouragement of politicians who finds herself laid off from her first job. Perhaps she can return home and live with her parents, but what if they're laid off too? How do you measure the human cost of these crushed dreams, lives upended, or the mental health damage that result from the orders of federal and state governments? And so they go on to uh, basically say the politicians in Washington are telling Americans, as they always do, that they are writing to the rescue by writing checks to individuals and offering loans to businesses. But there is no amount of money that can make up for the losses of the magnitude we are facing if this extends for several more weeks. After the first $1 trillion this month, we will have to spend another trillion in April and another in June. By the time the Treasury's small business lending program runs through the bureaucratic hoops, complete with ordering owners that they can't lay off anyone as pricing for getting the loan, millions of businesses will be bankrupt and tens of millions will be jobless. And so when we talk about some of these abstract concepts like bubbles and credits and charts and all that. I think people hear the abstraction of it all, but the reality is I'm the, I'm the son of a small business owner and I've grown up watching the decisions that my dad has to make to make sure that payroll is met. I work with small business owners who are figuring out how to make payroll through the next few weeks. And it isn't a matter of them going, I'm going to screw them to save myself. It's them going, how do I make sure that I have a business in three months because I have a bank to satisfy, I have inventory that I have to pay for, I have payroll that I need to make, and there should be one interesting note that in, in the episode where we talked about what what has been passed, there was a, a paid time off, basically like a quote-unquote maternity leave for the COVID virus. Why do you think so many people just got fired? They didn't, they get, didn't just get laid off, they got fired. Because then those companies don't show on their balance sheet that they have employees because if they were forced to pay for that paid time off because of this, they would go out of business. 
there, there wouldn't be a business to return to. So it isn't a matter of the heartless, evil capitalist businessman trying to screw the little guy. It's the fact that they're trying to figure out how to pay everybody too. And so the, the shrinking, and maybe you guys can talk to this, but the network effect, think about when you go to Chick-fil-A and you're sitting in front of your Chick-fil-A meal. And there's probably 40 different suppliers that go into that meal. There's probably 40 different vendors that go into that. There's the styrofoam maker, the person that prints on the cup, the ink maker. Then there's the the person who grows the lemons, who sends the lemon to help make the lemonade. And then there's the potato grower. And then there's the person that makes the pota- takes the potatoes and makes it the waffle fry. <laughs> None of those 40 suppliers are getting paid right now either. And so when you basically halt an economy and you have just this massive shrinkage, it's such a shock to the system that if you look at the, the charts for the Great Recession that we lived through, it was like this, and then there's the Great Depression, and the last week and a half has been like this. And so we're, we're facing a really tough choice, and that is how do you keep an economy going to make sure that there's enough businesses to return to versus the exponential growth of a pandemic that has the potential to kill millions of Americans and may no matter what we've already done. And so, you know, I I am somewhat hopeful that maybe we can, you never can count out the human species. We are a very efficient organism. We're always optimizing and maximizing. And so it's now a race between how much of the economy we destroy Versus how quick can we build capacity at healthcare facilities? How quick can we make ventilators? How quick can hydrochloronate come online? How, how can we staff and put masks and personal protective equipment into hospitals and, and level that curve versus the maximum economic destruction? It's an incredibly complex problem. And unfortunately, we have the Keystone Cops running at the White House because we have gone to the government and said, we want you to run even more of this complex economy. But I think it's a moment for libertarians to sit there and go, look at the complexity of the economy. There isn't one person who can run everything and manage everything. There are so many people who wake up every day excited to learn about pathogens. I'm not necessarily one of those people. I'm excited to wake up every day and learn about things and talk to you about them. But there's somebody who wakes up every day excited to grow turnips. There's somebody wait, that's excited to wake up every day and sell cell phones. You know, like they're, they're, it, it, the total human action, Creighton, uh, makes up a full market economy. It's incredibly complex. And what we're doing right now is shutting pieces of those down. And we need to get some of those pieces up, which is why I look at it and I go, we don't need everybody literally, we don't need to shut down every business. You don't need to close down a golf course. You don't need to close down. I mean, takeout and drive-through seems to be good enough. That's getting some hours to people to kind of help make some of that stuff up. You know, uh, we, we don't need to necessarily have everybody just stay. Like, I don't need to leave my house. I can do all my work from here. Creighton can do all of his work from here. Galt, I don't know what you're doing, but you I'm made all my work from here. I've been here, here for two weeks. Yeah, and so it's not that the economy is totally shutting down, but there are pieces of the economy that still need to run. So I, I don't know. I mean, when you guys look at that choice, that Sophie's choice of shut down the economy versus, um, v- versus saving lives. I mean, how do you, how do you kind of conceptualize it? Galt, you want to go first? 
Sure. Well, um, when Creighton's over here talking about where where we're going to be after all this, back down to where we maybe were before the bubbles and everything, um, I I would agree that's probably the case, except for what we're how we're reacting to it right now, and and, and the amount of money that the Fed is pumping into our system and the and the interest rates and all of that is is compounding the problem and making it worse. And um, you know, um, if you remember back to the reason we all got together, the well, reason we're all even doing this is Ron Paul, and mm -hmm. he's been telling us this since that since the day we learned about his name. Um, that this is the problem we need to avoid. This is this is exactly what they do in every crisis: is inflate the money supply, and make things worse, and make the bubbles worse. And they and they delay the they delay it until it bursts so bad that it ruins lives for people, it ruins businesses, and it ruins it ruins lives. So, um, yeah, that's I, I I would agree with you, Creighton. That that's probably where it would go if we weren't making it worse right now. Yeah, like if, well, those twelve literally voting on making it worse right now. That that twelve hundred dollar check that you get is not free money. It's got to come from somewhere. They're just printing more money, which inflates that's, everything. That's the thing is that like and I. Speaking of like the Pauls, Rand Paul got his diagnosis today, which he's the first of many, I'm sure, in Congress that's going to get it. But he's gotten a lot of heat for uh, his no vote because he put forth an amendment to say, all right, if we're going to pay for this, then let's take the money out of something else. And he wanted to take it out of the Afghanistan war. And of course, that was that amendment was shot down. So he voted no on the bill and he's been getting a lot of heat for that. But like, that's just the kind of thing is like, People don't realize that, like, yeah, this is there, there's there's long term consequences for doing nothing here. Like, we have to do something to 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 slow the spread of this thing, and you know, otherwise people will die. But there are also long term consequences with the way that we do that. And if the way that we do that is to just let throw more money on the credit card, like like you said, Spangle, like say, all this right, is just pay for, for this. Let's take the money out like, of something else. And he wanted to take it out of the stand war. <laughs> we'll die. Uh, Sorry. Uh, yeah. yeah. So and anyway, the way that we do, like he, he, we put it on the uh, the credit card bill, and that's just to get past this month. Like, you know, if we do this month after month after month, I mean, like we're like we're not going to have any money left. Like, we don't have the ability to. People think we can just borrow money until the end of time, and like as long as we can service that interest, then it's all good. And it's just like that's not true. That's just not how it's going to work. And you know, I don't know. It's it's that's one of the reasons that I don't think that like this, that you're talking about this trade off between the human cost and the economy. Like, I think eventually. At the first sign of something getting good, I think people will start being like, all right, let's let's end it. It's not going to be one of those things where they're like, because they're like, you know, you can see all these articles. They're like, oh, we got to do 18 months so we can get a vaccine or we got to stay in afterwards because we don't want to have a second epidemic go through. If we don't if we don't do it right, then there could be a second pass through of all of the stuff. And it's like, look, the minute numbers start looking better in some places, they're going to be like, all right, let's loosen these restrictions and get people back to work. Because like there's I mean, there's just nothing. There's no way around it. Like there's no way that they're going to let this sit for for months and upon months upon months. Well, I mean, the, the it's, human is not going to do it. Because you're causing human pain no matter what. I mean, it's not a matter of being a cold, heartless bastard. Like, I mean, if you've seen any of the landlord emails going around, you know, that that's causing real pain by people not being able to pay their bills, too. I mean, that's 
this is a two-part human tragedy. I mean, there's no, there's nothing about this that is even remotely good. But what would you say to somebody, Creighton, who's like, ah, this heartless, cold bastard named Creighton? You know, my aunt has COVID nineteen, and I mean, you've been looking at the numbers. I mean, New York, New York numbers are scary. Like there were sixteen thousand cases on Thursday or Friday, and you said there may be two hundred forty-three thousand by Wednesday. Like the exponential growth of it is. Well, I don't know if I said that. Uh, it was in a group chat. You didn't say it publicly, but like the exponential growth here is is huge. No, yeah. Th- so, like, this is the problem with with so like you can. It's pretty easy to put this into a model and just uh, it just map it to an exponential curve and see where you'll be. Um, and luckily, not luckily, I say luckily in the sense of that it matches that model pretty closely right now, and you can kind of get an accurate count by doing that and the further out you go the more margin for error there is um and a lot of the models you know and a pure exponential growth model is not taking into account mitigation factors um so but yeah like you can actually plug in all the data that's happened in the past like two or three weeks or you can actually i mean the john hopkins data is out there for everyone to download for free and you can play with it and it it, you can look at what's and they update it every day like you can project out it. You can see some scary numbers pretty quickly. Like if they don't, if a mitigationless response would have put us at like the whole country infected by, by uh, May or something. Wow. Like the end of it by like April 15th or something or, or like April 20th, the entire country would have been affected, infected at, at that rate. So like that's, I mean, that's how fast it would have happened. Which in and of itself um, is unacceptable. Yeah. So like that's and so like they're talking about how worst case scenario is 70 plus. And I think that's because there's like there's there's just inherent limits in like how how infected people could be like, you know, just if you're living in the middle of the mountains or something, the chances of you getting it is pretty low kind of stuff like that. So like but obviously all the population centers would have been run through with it, all that kind of stuff. So like these mitigation factors should tamper dampen that curve. But like the and, and the real issue also isn't isn't just that people are getting infected. Obviously that's the main problem, but it's just also that they're getting infected too quickly. And I know we've all seen these stories and we've seen the the numbers and we've seen the, the Dr. Fauci's on TV and stuff talk about how they need to slow the curve, the growth down so that they can spread it out over time. That way the hospital system isn't overloaded, but like there isn't really anything to be done for that at this point in some of these places. Like, it's just a matter of time. Like, New York City, from what I understand, like, and this is just stuff that I've seen on the news, like, it's going to be, oh, it's going to be completely maxed out, you know, in like a few, like a few days or a few, a week or something. Like, they're not going to have the capacity that they're anticipating, you know, very soon. And that's scary because New York City is, you know, the biggest, most populated city in the country. And, you know, I don't know the percentage of people who live here that are old. But like, that's a lot of people who need to go to the hospital and they're talking about setting up uh, field hospitals and stuff now. I don't know if everybody saw Cuomo's address, but they're yeah. talking about setting up field hospitals and stuff. And like that, there's just the, the, the growth. The, the reason this is so scary isn't is just it's so it, it happens so fast. Like like the, the, the contagion is so easy to spread and there isn't really anything that anyone can do about it. Like this is just, 
an example of how little control we have over our own fates. Like when the world wants us to die, the world can make us die. And <laughs> like it only took it only took one little disease that some guy probably got from eating a bat. And now the whole world is on its knees like it's at, I mean, I think that's a, I think that's the thing that is such crazy. a mind fuck about this is that there's no cure. There's no good solution. There's nobody that can come and save us. I'm watching all these Sunday shows, and it's a bunch of people complaining about how we can't get masks, we can't get this, we can't get that. And I'm not. I'm. I'm empathetic. My mom's a nurse. Trust me, I get it. But like, where do you want to get them from? Germany, China? Like they're all going through it too. I know China says that they're cured now, but come on, it's China. This. This is what I anticipate. I think that if it does last, if it does last for a long time they're going to switch over into employing all these unemployed people into making these hospital, this hospital equipment is what's going to happen. Yeah. So like, you're literally going to have a bunch of people who are out of work. They're going to have programs where they literally hire them to make ventilators, to make masks. And that's going to be what all of these people are unemployed are doing until stuff gets under control. And it's literally going to be like a world war two kind of thing where you know, you're just working in the factory to make bombs. Well, now you're working in the factory to make hospital masks. Which, why why don't they do that? I mean, to me, that seems, you know. Well, if we're going to, if we want to go off on a, on a tangent, not really a tangent, but like the, 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 the response by the federal government to this, like the sheer ineptitude of our (laughs) regulatory system to handle something like this, should give every American pause as to whether or not this regulatory apparatus that we have was ever necessary in the first place. Mm-hmm. Because the sheer stupidity of all of this stuff, like we honestly are in this because, in to some degree, because of the ineptitude of the CDC and the FDA to handle these kinds of things. Like how many, how much do you want to bet that at some point at the beginning of this, some guy at the CDC in a suit said we can't do it that way because that's against regulations and because we didn't do it in this way it it went out of control i mean i don't know have you guys read these stories about people in washington who at the beginning like back in like december or something were trying to test people for this and this uh just like local doctors like uh research scientists and stuff were testing people in washington state and they had a ton of positives and they went to the CDC with all this information. The CDC is straight up like, cease and desist. You're not allowed to do this. You have to go through us. There, there's absolutely no. Said no, after that, they broke it down and let private people also do the testing. Yeah. But like how many people were walking around Washington state with this disease because the CDC doesn't know what the heck it's doing. Like it's absurd to me how little we're holding our regular. Like maybe it's just because we're all in the crisis right now. We're like, all right, let's get through this and we'll deal with that later. But like, you know, they're basically like, hey, we're doing a streamline of all of the regulatory stuff to get this thing out the door. And it's just like, if we didn't need this for this to do these things to save our world, like, why did we ever have these in the first place? I don't ever want to hear someone tell me about the free market American healthcare ever again. Like the, the, the whole reason that we are even in this is because of the control that the federal government has had over our ability to make medicine. Like not to absurd. not to mention Trump's continual denial that this was anything of significance because he was so scared it would affect his economy and his yeah. reelection chances. When when you give power to people who make life and death decisions and then you end up with an idiot as president 
who's selected a bunch of idiots to be in charge of this stuff. Not, not that Fauci, Fauci seems to be fairly competent. He would have been CDC director no matter what. But there, there, is, there is a continual march of information out of Washington, D.C. over the last month and a half of people going, Trump didn't want this to be a thing because he didn't want it. So they just didn't prepare, you know. And now I guess they're being somewhat effective. But the, the, the reality is you're right. The federal government at every level and state governments in some places have been the hindrance here they have they have gotten in the way um galt is this just one big giant conspiracy to usher in socialism <laughs> i i've actually well, seen that let, yeah. let me yeah. let me well, let me preface that because that's unfair bad. hold on but, uh, i have but, literally but, seen well, libertarians definitely just hit the nail on the head go ahead uh, you know i don't really blame trump um, our system wouldn't have been any different no matter who was in charge. Um, and and um, if I'm being honest with myself, I was in denial in the very beginning. I think Me a lot too. of Americans were. And I think that that's an understandable position to be in as a leader of the country. Um, but the fact is, Trump or not, the government did not react in time. And um, we, we, now, we now know without a shadow of a doubt that members of our Congress and uh, government knew that this was going to be a major problem back in January. The intelligence, you and I, hold on. You and I didn't know that this was a hoax. Like we didn't know it was real. Like we don't trust the media. Nobody could trust the media. Oh, this is not a thing. This is not a thing, but we're not president getting daily briefings from the uh, intelligence community um, because that's the difference is Trump saw in his intelligence briefings that this was going to be an actual thing. And that's when he could have started marshalling like, Hey, let's start bringing some troops home. Let's start bringing, you know, excess from overseas. Let's start bringing masks and ventilators back. Like, and none of that happened. And now we've got a situation where you've got 50 States competing with each other against every country in the world. And it's just a disaster when, you could have had more lead time. The thing that we need now is time, right? Like to build capacity. If we'd been building capacity for three to four more weeks because somebody in the government had taken this more seriously, you know, then then maybe we'd be in a different position. But it, it's really like I that's, I just look at that's a fair point. But like, listen, every if let's let's be honest. Like every time this has happened beforehand, before this, every you know, pandemic, quote, pandemic that we would have had before this has not been a pandemic. Right. Like SARS was probably the worst other than this. And it wasn't a worldwide pandemic. It was really bad in Asia, but it wasn't like it blew up across the world. Uh, the swine flu probably is the most notorious for being the biggest blown out of proportion thing. And it, and it didn't end up being anything. And it wasn't for, because of the, uh, the action we took, it just wasn't that kind of virus. So like, you know, the only time that we can ever have anything remotely similar to this that we can think about is the, the Spanish influenza in 1918. That's the closest thing that we've got. And like, that was a bad deal. That was really bad. But like, like how I'm not, I'm not trying to defend Trump here. Like, I think that he, he did, he did kind of clearly put his emphasis on the wrong thing, right? Like he was more concerned about putting his head in the sand, but at the same time, everybody kind of had their head in the sand. Nobody was, like God said, no one was taking this seriously at first. 
I have I work with a lot of people from Asia and they're talking that live are from China and they're talking to me about how they have all these family members and all this stuff. And I was talking to them kind of in retrospect, I have to like, you know, eat all my eat the crow that I, I put there because like I was like, I don't think it's going to be a thing because look at the numbers. The death rate isn't very high. The growth rate is chilled out there, blah, blah, blah. China Wuhan has like this many million people. And it only has like 80,000 cases. That's a ridiculous low percentage. And I was coming to all these numbers and they're like, yeah, well, that's because they deliver their groceries to them at their front door. Like they don't let them out. And it's just like, I didn't really admit that all of the things that they had to do to keep all that under wraps. Like it was just sort of like a news story. You know what I mean? And uh, now, like in retrospect, it's like I was just kind of in denial about it. Like, because I mean, maybe to anyone else who's been thinking like this, it's like there's no frame of reference here. Like, we don't have any understanding of what this would be like. Like, we just have no concept. And and we still kind of don't have a concept. Like, right now, the deaths in America are what? Like, there's like a – I don't even remember the numbers. It's it's not very high in America. You know, uh, even in the world, even the total deaths across the world as a percentage of the world population is super small. Like, it's like – what is it? Like, um, like – I don't even remember how many Italy has like 4,000 China had like 3,000 you know there's not a ton of deaths as a percentage of the world population so even now we're only kind of looking at it at how scary it is as an infection rate but again even as an infection like it's still a really low percentage of the population is infected with this thing that's confirmed at least and like we're all kind of I think that's one of the reasons that people have their head that had their head in the sand some still do have their head in the sand is that this concept of exponential growth is just lost on people. And it's really hard to wrap your mind around at, at the beginning when you're like, oh, there's like one case in the United States, eh, whatever. And then you're like, yeah, but projections are that in a month, that'll be, you know, 3 million cases. You're like, ah, whatever. That's that, blah, blah, I don't know, eh, whatever. And that's the reality of it. So while Trump doesn't deserve any credit for anything really, except maybe his, he finally got on board with it and started going really intense with it lately. But I can't necessarily say I blame the man for kind of not taking it seriously because no one in the world really took it seriously until it hit them. Like that's the problem that everyone has had. Every country has made this mistake. Italy made this mistake. Germany made it. UK, everybody has made this mistake. Even China made this mistake at first. And like, we're still learning stuff out of China. So like, I think it's just worth saying before everybody starts trying to like tear, you know, make it definitely before they start making it a political thing. Like you got to remember, this is, this has never happened in like three lifetimes. This like, is, this is a this, once, this is a once in a century unsolvable. And I agree with you, Gull. I think that if Hillary Clinton were president, I don't know how much different she would have done. Um, I, in fact, she may be more authoritarian in her response than Trump has been somewhat. But what do you guys make of the person that is still hanging on to denying that this is a reality or a thing? I've seen a lot of this, and I even see other libertarian, you know, media figures kind of still going, yeah, this doesn't seem right. The numbers are still this. I'm, I'm kind of going, I get it, because I was there a week and a half ago when there weren't any cases, but like now you look and you go, okay, well, Indiana had one death, and then two days later I had two deaths, and now it's eight deaths and now you know like at what point do those people kind of let go i mean galt maybe you speak to this because 
all three of us, and I think most of us were kind of in the same place Creighton was, but you were, you seemed to be a little later to the party. Like, at what point were enough numbers to convince you that, oh shit? Um, I woke up when the numbers started coming in from Italy. And then I'm um, just looking at the fact that the only reason I feel like we don't have our numbers right in America is the lack of testing. Um, if we had the same testing numbers as some of these other countries, I feel like um, it would be a lot more clear to the rest of the Americans that are, that are accepting this. I think that um, this week's going to be a really big week for testing, um, as we heard Trump say today and, and Pence say today. And, uh, and I'm really hoping that once those numbers start coming in, people really start to wake, take, to take it seriously. I mean, what do you guys say to the person who says this is all hype? I mean, you don't have to. Like, or trust me. This like, is all hysteria. Like you can look at the growth over time. Like it's, it is exponential growth. And the the I think the big thing right now is that the fact that like we're actually learning about what it was like last week. Like all the numbers that are coming in are last week's numbers, really. Right. So like, it's actually worse than it is, and we don't know that yet because we don't have the testing done yet. So, like, we're going to see the numbers start to approach accuracy towards the end of this week into next week. You're going to see people starting to get tests done at a better rate. And all of the tests from la- this past week will start coming in more. You know, it's just like we're going to start seeing some scary numbers. Like, I just looked, New York City's at 15K. And then I'm pretty sure I said, what, yesterday, that New York will probably, or, or Friday, I think I said, New York City is looking at 16K by Sunday, and that's where we're at. So, like, it's it's matching the model, that the exponential growth model. And, and I think a lot of that is because we're seeing before the mitigation numbers. The numbers we have, we're looking at are before mitigation. And as mitigation starts to take its effect in the next couple of weeks, those numbers will slow down. But... That's the problem with getting behind. We were so behind the ball on this is that they're blowing up. I mean, they're blowing up and it's, it's, it, I don't know. It's, it's going to be pretty bad this week. There was a website that I sent to you. I was like, Hey, is this right? Because it, it was really kind of scary stuff and it's COVID act now.org. And it showed, you know, the exponential growth, the numbers, you know, just for here in Indiana, for instance, in a state of six and a half million people, the point of no return for intervention to prevent hospital overload, March 29th to April 3rd. So if we did nothing, 146,000 expected hospitalizations in a state with 15,000, 11,000 beds. So you've got 11,000 beds and you need, you'd have... 146,000 hospitalizations. Now with social distancing where everybody just kind of stays six feet apart from each other, that's five fifty-eight thousand hospitalizations versus 15,000. And that hits in late May. Now sheltering in place, which is essentially what we're doing. You're looking at about 500 to a thousand hospitalizations a day over the course of the next uh, few months. And you're well below the amount of beds. And so the, uh, the um the deaths for instance if you we if we had taken no action by um it, it would end with about 134,000 deaths just it's simple math and then with 3 months of social distancing it's 100,000 deaths 
if three months of shelter in place, which is effectively what everybody is doing, which is only essential personnel out in the world, everybody's just kind of staying in. You're looking at 2,000 deaths in Indiana. You know, so 100,000 versus 2,000 is, is a really big drop. And so you, you know, you, you had to act because we would have, because I think Creighton, part of why I think a lot of people have a hard time looking at this is they look at math. I'm not a math person. I'm a people person. And so how do you just quantify lives like that? How do you just look at these numbers and go, this is a statistical probability, you know, but in reality, just like when we were talking about the market, the abstraction of it is maybe I don't get it, but it doesn't mean that that's not real. Like, how do you look at this being a math person and go, if they're saying 100,000 deaths in Indiana, if we, if we do this thing, how do we know that's true? I mean, again, these are all models and they're all projections. So it's really just a matter of like, you have to, you have to be okay with the assumptions that they make. And nevertheless, like this is literally what epidemiologists do. Like they, they like have ways of modeling pathogen outbreaks. They, they mitigate mitigation factors are built in and stuff. It's just like, I don't know. Like there's nothing that we're really familiar with other than maybe like interest or something uh, that has like any kind of exponential growth in it. Like, I mean, these, this is, this whole thing is literally like a homework problem. Like when you take in like calculus one or something, this is like a homework problem. Uh, and I don't know, like if people don't trust it, I don't, I don't know what else to tell you. Like these, the math behind this kind of stuff is solid and we're getting the numbers every day updated and it just keeps fitting that curve. So like it, it, it's got it. It's gonna keep doing it unless we do something different. Like, is it hard because is it hard for spiritual creatures to be enumerated like that and have it be accurate? Is that why there's maybe the disconnect? It's just hard for people to accept that our 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 value as human beings can fit into something like that. I mean, I don't know if I don't think it's anything to do with that. Like, this is just like it's just a description of the transmissions of diseases, like. You know, it's just like if A turns into one and then A and B, then A, B, C, D, like you can just look at it. Like if each thing doubles, then like, you know, you're not you're not really quantifying anything other than the fact that these people weren't sick. And now this many people are sick. Like it's it's there. Like it's the, the numbers are right there. Like you can look at them. And unless you just believe that there's some worldwide conspiracy that are making up fake numbers, <laughs> I don't know what else what else to tell you. Like Gulp. <laughs> Well, I, I want people to know wake up. <laughs> Get inside. And if you're not essential, keep people safe. Do the right thing. You know, like it's it's don't make the government bring in the military and force people to do it. It's really sad when I see um, I know a lot of people that work at the Comcast store here in Indiana. Now, because um, I used to work there, I used to be in retail, and I know how crazy customers can get. They're they're limiting customers. You know, only a few customers at a time can come in the store for distancing, right? Everybody stands certain feet away, all that. So you have a line of people outside because that store is always busy, and you have customers that are so angry and call it a hoax and call it you know misinformation that they're. How, how annoying is it that we are doing this? Literally willing to break the windows. Of, it's really sad that 
that people are are just not accepting this, and 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 it's disproportionately the older generation. Yeah, that's that's sort of my point. Is that how annoying is it and, that and, you know, how annoying is it that we you're kind of breaking up, Galt? So I'm gonna just talk over you. How annoying is it that we're all making this sacrifice for the boomer generation, and they're disproportionately the ones that don't believe this is real? And you're just like, you know what? <laughs> I actually. This is where, like, truth is stranger than fiction. Have you seen that, like, and I'm going to make a stupid reference here, but it's perfect. Have you seen that episode of South Park where the old people invade the town, like Red Dawn? <laughs> the episode's called Grey Dawn. Yeah. You know how they ended up beating the old people? How? Is they locked up the country kitchen buffet so that they couldn't go into it. <laughs> and they, they It didn't open up at 6 in the morning, and then they starved them out by closing the country kitchen buffet. And the reaction... From older generation to this whole thing has sort of mimicked that, where they're like, they're like, I get, to, I gotta go to Applebee's after church. It's my right as an American. Like, it's just like they can't handle the fact that they can't go to some of these sit-down restaurants. And I'm just sitting here thinking, like, you really gotta go to Applebee's that bad? Like, it's really just, I don't get it. I mean, I don't fully like. Listen, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a person that needs to see. Or I'm an experiential person. To fully understand something, I need to experience it with my senses. Like I just am that type of person. So I didn't. I I. T but you know, I don't want to be the. Uh, maybe I'm the gullible idiot, Galt, that the government. So and Galt is one of our more conspiratorial people. And this is one thing that I found early on. Like I was, I listened to Alex Jones a lot because it's hilarious. And the natural news guy is on Alex Jones saying the exact same thing that Michael, what's his face was saying on Joe Rogan, who saying the same thing as Fauci. And I'm like, all right guys, when all, when everybody's in agreement that this is a thing, maybe we ought to pay attention. And we have three months of actual data. So I guess I just have not gotten the whole, you know, I'm going to, try to play it cool and, and, and be better than this. But I, I have genuinely seen this is all just them conditioning us for uh, socialism to be ushered in and not saying that's not the case. <laughs> I mean, but the reality is that sometimes when, you know, I know that everybody cries wolf a lot, but sometimes there's a big wolf. And this is a big wolf outside of our door that is serious and something that is is a very scary choice, both economically and and uh, medically. So, I mean, optimistic projections have a one percent death rate. Optimistic projections. Okay, that's seventy percent of the United States gets infected by worst case scenario, and I don't know why it's seventy, but let's say it's seventy. That's what, like 200 and something thousand people ish, or not a thousand, 200 something million people, give or take. You know, 1% of that is 20 something, or is 2 million or so. That's 2 million dead Americans. Like, how many people know how many people died in, say, World War II or the Civil War? Some earth shattering events, as far as the United States is concerned, is like in the hundred thousands. Like, people don't really realize, like, you know, it, percentages at 1% sounds great. Like, oh man, 1% chance of dying. That's like 99% chance of not dying. And it's like, that's probably a little, that's probably an overestimate because we blah, blah, blah. It's probably lower than 1%. It's just like, yeah, that's technically true. You're right. But that doesn't change the fact that there are 300 million people in this country. 1% of that is a lot of people still. Right. And that's a lot of dead people. 
if this stuff doesn't get under control. So like, I don't know, man, like, I don't know. It's a big deal. It's this, this is, this is, you know, this is, this is like the beginning of the 21st century in a lot of ways. Like everything's going to be different after this. In what ways do you guys think that it'll be different? I mean, I think the big one is going to be what you guys were talking about at the beginning, where there's going to be this like emphasis on sort of like decentralized working, right? Like if people weren't doing work from home beforehand, they sure as heck are now. And they've been forced to for sure now, but there's a lot of places that were, that worked on that, that, they had the capacity for work from home. They just had the ability to do it, but they never actually had, maybe the people who run the company weren't really on board with it. They were kind of old school, stuff like that. But this is, you know, if you can, if you can maintain your output level, if you can maintain your product growth while having everybody work from home, I mean, that really changes a lot of things. And it's just like, you know, it was this big thing when Amazon was like, you know, here's this company that doesn't have like a brick and mortar. It's all online. And, and whoa, this is crazy. Like I can go buy stuff and not have to go to an actual store. And it was this kind of weird thing. But like imagine everything's like that, where like there isn't really a location. There is. I'm sure there's an office somewhere. But like the office is just there for a mailing address. It's it's only there because you got to have one. But the fact is, is that it employs people across the globe and they all work from home. Like that's that's definitely something that's going to pop out of this for sure. Like I can't I can't imagine that it won't. I also think that if we do the hospital thing that we were talking that we talked about where people who are unemployed start making things, hospital equipment, you know, depending on how that plays out, that really that alters the direction of your economy to some degree. And like, you know, do you become a world powerhouse supplier of hospital equipment at that point? Like, you know, why would you change back? Like, why would you get a job making respirators and then the crisis is over? Like, I mean, why would I stop making respirators? Like, you know, like you force the economy in a certain direction, it probably stays going in that direction. Now you've, you've kind of like shifted the bedrock to some degree. So like, I don't know, like, I don't know if I think that it's going to remove the uh, desire of people to go out and like shop or go to restaurants and stuff. I think that'll still be there. Uh, But, but yeah, like a lot of people are going to be I, I honestly hope that the biggest thing that comes out of this is people are a little bit more responsible with their finances. Like people don't think that it's just going to be okay to like rack up debt and hope to pray to God that you're employed enough to service it. I'm hoping that, cause like even before this, the problem was like, there was like, I think was it like 1,000, 1% of Americans had like a thousand dollars saved in their bank account or something like it was like there's a really bad problem of people preparing for emergencies and you know we're all probably no one's doing does it perfectly but like a lot of this also has to do with the fact that we just aren't really financially prepared to deal with the case that we won't be employed and that's just an irresponsibility on everybody's part individually like that's just one of those things that that thriftiness kind of culture you you're supposed to learn that growing up and you're supposed to be a responsible adult you know, that's what you do. And we just, as Americans are really bad about doing that. The, this and is the, this is like, Oh, well, you know, I mean, we're paycheck to paycheck and I can't help it. Like, I don't care what you say. You can put them away some money in just in case money. Like 
that everyone can do that if they're employed. Yeah, this is the third. This is the third major economic crisis in my adult lifetime in the last fifteen years, and the best that they've been able to do is two hundred and fifty bucks that I had to pay the government back for, and then let's say two thousand bucks for this that I'll probably have to pay. Even AOC today on one of the shows was saying, "Yeah, we'll just tax them back." I mean, so the reality is that the best the government can do in an emergency is a thousand dollars a month for you for a couple months. Like, I I totally agree. I think that this is a reorienting event, and I think that it is. You know, I'm I had two great family nights the last two nights. You know, and I hope that that continues. I think that being forced to slow down, being forced to reexamine your priorities, being forced to get in touch with the values that my grandparents, who, you know, my great my, my grandfather was in World War II in the Pacific. If you watch the Pacific, that's his story. And then he came back, married my grandmother who grew up in the Depression. I mean, they, they had a different way of living. And when they passed away, they were able to leave significant wealth to their family. And I think that this is one of those reorienting things that people start to examine and go, I've been chasing stuff so hard that it has brought about these negative consequences. And when that was withdrawn from me, I saw the benefits of my life in other places. So I think that's going to be uh, hopefully something that, that people really connect with, you know, volunteerism, with charity, with helping other people, with being more engaged with their family and less consumerism. I think, I think those could all be really positive benefits out of this, even if it's tough. I mean, Galt, what do you think is coming? What do you think comes out of this? Can you guys hear me? All right. Yep. Great. Um, well, you know, here's what I want. Here's what I want to paint a picture for people. I want people to understand that um, we we didn't have a very good government action in the very beginning, right? But you saw those greedy corporations shutting down their stores, limiting hours, doing their distancing, the things that they needed to do, the things that they needed to do for society, before there was ever a directive from the government before there was ever, ever told to or forced to. Now, I know there are exceptions in plenty of businesses that are still fighting that. But there, but when it comes down to it, you're talking about the way humanity is, and, and, and that goes even to businesses too. People own businesses. Businesses aren't just a thing. And, and, and people at the top that run those are – like, for example, my company. I'm really proud of my company because they um, – they they responded to this really quick. They sent all 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 workforce home to work from home, and uh, they shut down eighty percent of the retail environment right away. No no questions about it. Um, and and and, I th- and and guaranteeing pay even for their employees. So um, I, that wasn't something that you know the the Trump administration told them to do, right? So I want people to see that. Um, in a libertarian society, those same things would have happened. Those same things would still have happened from companies. And, you know, when um, Creighton was talking about the, uh, the FDA process being so backwards and, and incompatible and, and the healthcare care regulations, um, because it took so long for testing, you got, right? Well, in a libertarian society, Tesla and GM that got permission today to start building respirators, that would have happened weeks ago. You know, right. um, you know, uh, supplies and things like that, that masks, 3M's making masks now, um, cruise ships had asked for permission to be hospitals. All of those things would have just naturally happened because the market was demanding those services. So that's what I want people to understand is that in a libertarian society, we would have 
as a collective, as a human race, we would have reacted faster to this. We would have had nothing standing in our way for, for making the right decisions. We would have done it together. And that's what I think is really eye-opening about this whole situation. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that, I hope that's the biggest positive that comes out of this is a strong reevaluation of regulations. It, I mean, obviously within the healthcare industry that come out of this, like, I, I mean, I was reading that you have to, if you're a hospital, you have to ask permission to buy more beds. Like if you're just a hospital, you have to ask a bureaucrat for permission. If you want to purchase more beds for your hospital, you have to show a certificate of need to buy more beds. In, in what universe is that logical in any way, shape or form? That right there is strikes me as like straight up cronyism. There's probably like some some hospitals like, hey, you know, we need to make sure that we're not getting out competed by other hospitals. So we're going to put like artificial caps on how many beds you can buy or stuff like that. And then they'll be like, yeah, and we're cozy with the bureaucrats. Like that doesn't strike me as there's no obvious need for something like that. But it's a regulation that is now obviously a hindrance to what we're trying to do. And it's just like, you know, why why does it why do you have to ask for permission to make respirators? Like, why would you ever have to do that? If you can make a working respirator, then make a working respirator. Honestly, some of these companies, you know, I, I would have more respect for them if they would have just started doing it. And then later they could have been, you know, it's better to ask for uh, uh, forgiveness than permission. The like, public outcry if they got busted by the federal government for doing that would be enormous. And I'm sure that they're already doing it. I'm I'm sure GM, it takes a lot of effort to retool a factory from making cars to making resp- ventilators. You know, so I'm sure it's not a thing that they can do in a day and a half. They've probably got to figure a lot out and they're probably just going to do it. You know, just like yeah. Miller Lite and Coors didn't need permission to just start making hand sanitizer. They just yeah. did it. But these and this is the kind of thing that I'm talking about, too, is like we're, you know, we have obviously an enormous demand for hospital equipment right now. And to the ability or not of our of, of our companies to meet that demand ought to be limited only by their inability to meet that demand. There should be no limitation on their ability to meet that demand because some dudes in some suits who are citing some federal code that was written like 30 years ago by probably by some hospital exec shouldn't be the guy who's saying, yo, you can't do this to benefit no, the, have, to benefit in, some to special out, interest you have to group, file this form. Then you need to go stand in line, file this form so that you can make this thing like, no, that, that, that kind of stuff has to go. And this is exactly the kind of thing that libertarians have been talking about for so long is that like that stuff is a hindrance. And, and, and we're so often trying to make the argument of the unseen where it's like, it's really hard to explain to some people, look, I know you can't see the lack of growth out there that this prevents from happening. These kinds of things have real costs, but you can't actually see it because it doesn't exist. It, it's prevented from existing. Well, now is an opportunity for people to really see what we're talking about because we know really hard how lacking we are on a lot of this stuff. And, you know, it's because of it a lot to a large extent. It's because of all of these hindrance, these regulatory hindrances. And now the unseen is a lot easier to see. You know, it may not it literally isn't there, but we know that it's not there and we really do need it. And maybe this will be I mean. Maybe this will be something that comes out of it too, a positive that comes out of this where people are just a little bit better at understanding how stifling 
government control over business can actually be. And yeah, there's always going to be that guy in the corner who's complaining about how regulations keep people from falling in meat vats and you're not eating rat food or something. But like, you know, this is a real, actual, factual human cost to government burden. And how many people are going to die because the FDA had to have some stupid rule set up 50 years ago to deal with like, they're talking about like vaccines take like usually take 15 years to make a vaccine. And like, oh, well, we got to make it in 18 months. Like you need to make that thing in like two months at the most. Like, I don't even know what you're talking about. 18 months. Don't give me that. Like you, you guys can do better than that. I'm sorry. The FDA should not be, it should be as long as it takes to make the vaccine, not as long as it takes to get approval for a vaccine. Yeah. And that's, that's the, that's a real shame because do you see all how how proud they were? They were like, "Oh yeah, it normally takes us uh, six months to approve a <laughs> vaccination like this," and uh, we did it in forty eight hours. We were so proud of the the work that we were able to accomplish through emergency provisions. And I'm just like, "Yeah, but now we have one test, and that's it. There's no competition in tests. There's not better tests. There, there's not multitudes of tests. And if there were, you can guarantee that they would be better tests." They wouldn't have to swab, uh, you know, uh, areas you don't want swabbed. You'd get, you'd have results a lot faster, and you'd have drive-through testing all over the place, like in South Korea, where they're not blocking those things. And and you know, the 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 real damage to the economy. I mean, a lot of it's already done, but it could have a lot of this could have been avoided in our in our society because um, testing. If the supply was there for the testing and there were so many different options, employers could buy those tests at, I mean, they would buy them in bulk. It'd be a fraction of the cost, maybe $5 a piece, let's say, for an example. And then every morning you wake up and your employer says, all right, take your COVID-19 test. You pass your test, you can go to work. And then now you keep the economy going and you're don't have, and, and you not carrying the virus. And you go home and you go to sleep. You wake up the next day and take another test for five bucks. It's Your value is way worth way more than five bucks to a company. And, and, and you know, I, I, a lot of this damage just could have been avoided. And that's exactly what South Korea did. South Korea had proliferated testing and they had it early. And so we never would have gotten to the, had we taken this seriously and had we gotten testing and had they been able to do the testing, then we would be in a much different conversation than the one we've had tonight. Because in South Korea, for instance, they've done a lot of testing. Everybody wore masks. You got your temperature booped on the forehead before you walked into whatever you're walking into. And so then they isolated the people that were sick. And that I think is honestly where, I'm not I'm not expecting Boogaloo or the Great Depression here. I think that within the next month, testing is going to be very, uh, it's going to be out there in a very proliferated way. I think you're going to see capacity as long as we can. It's a race. Just get the capacity up at these hospitals. And then it's probably a much different conversation. And hydro, hydro I'm not saying it right, hydrochloronique uh, has shown, I know one personal case where it, it totally turned this person's situation around for the better, which is why Trump keeps floating it. Cause he's like, there's a fix coming. Please don't wreck my economy. I want to get reelected. But it, it truly is a hopeful thing that it, you know, they're, they're doing 
trials in like 70,000 people with this drug, right? So that's not a trial. That's we're just going to let people use this and then call it a trial so we're not liable for anything that happens. So I, I hope that we can get this all fixed. It was great talking to you both. I mean, let's give final thoughts as we usually do. Galt, final thoughts for the episode. And, and, uh, and to add on to that comment, you always have been the optimist of the three of us. Um, I, I definitely say Creighton's probably a pessimist, and I'm probably the realist. Um, I, I see it as it is. I call it how it is. And, um, you know, I really hope people uh, stay vigilant and uh, do the right things right now. Uh, take it seriously. But also, um, don't trade away all your liberty for, for some temporary safety for a month or two um don't trade away everything that our forefathers have fought for and all of our everything don't don't throw it all away just for this moment in history that will be over it won't last forever and uh yeah it was really great being on with both of you guys good to see you guys again and uh thanks again creighton yeah i mean you know these are the times to try men's souls uh i mean you just gotta be uh, you gotta be smart about it. Like, you know, it's, it's not going to be fun and, you know, life isn't always the, isn't always easy. So just stay home, respect the fact that this is just, you know, this is just a thing that's going to happen and you're going to have to deal with it and it'll, it'll pass and we'll, life will move on. But it's either going to move on into a better direction or it's going to move on into a worse direction. And a lot of that can be decided by each of us individually about how we react to this. So, like, you know, to be serious, stay home, you know, do what you can to to help. And in a lot of ways, that means help. That means you can't actually, you know, interact. I mean, that's you can't actually interact with people. So, like, you know, but, you know, I don't know, like just stay safe and, and we're going to get through this, but you know, yeah, that's it. I would add organize a blood drive. There's a major blood shortage, as you heard on an episode recently, and they need people to virtually organize blood drives. So you just sit at your house and then help set that stuff up. The, the, the need, people still have accidents. People still have surgeries. There's still a need for blood. And so one guy was like, what would they need blood for with COVID-19? idiot they're still going to be it's like people people don't think like just because the hospital has 100 percent capacity of covid patients they've got 80 percent full of accident victims uh you know or or gunshot think about wound. how bad it is for the pregnant women right now right oh i mean the elective surgery stuff the the, the small tragedies out of this of people who weren't going to get the knee repair that they've wanted repaired or the cancer, the life-saving cancer surgery that isn't going to happen for months now and, and risk their lives. Like there's a million tragedies out of this and it's just, it's uh, truly terrible. And, you know, I think or putting your energy into something positive can really help deal with the anxiety, like organizing a blood drive or Joanne fabrics is, is helping organize a mask drive. Yeah. I know that that isn't 100% effective, but, a mask will help stop the nurse from carrying the disease to other people. You know, so there are things that people can do that can really help. Call up your local food shelter and say, what help do you need delivering meals to people who, who need food? 
the need is tremendous right now and they need more volunteers. So there, there's a lot of ways to be helpful and there's a lot of things that you can do. And I would encourage you that if you're feeling a lot of anxiety, put it into something you can control like one of those volunteer activities. And that will really help you deal with a lot of that. You'll do a lot of good. You will also feel a lot better and uh, maybe find some community when you need it most. And so with that, I want to thank Creighton, Galt. Thank you both for being here. Thanks, All right. And uh, I want to thank our, our patrons. You guys keep the bills paid, and uh, you guys have been so generous this month as we face uh, turn down. Um, I, we've, we've grown in Patreon, and I really do appreciate that because I expected the exact opposite. Uh, Matthew Durbin, uh, our $100 a month folks are really just coming through strong for us, and we really appreciate them, starting with Ryan Hold, Matthew Durbin, Christy Avery, Jeff Bennett, Jason Doolittle, Ed Brehob, Craig DaCosta, and a new one as of today, Anthony Meyer. Thank you so much, and we're so happy that you have come on board. So thank you so much for supporting the show. And uh, we will see you tomorrow. I will not be here. It will be Hody. Hody will host tomorrow. I will be back Tuesday night, and uh, you can watch the program live. So with that, we thank you so much for being a part of the show. And please, if you get anything out of this, spread the word. That's how we grow. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. And you can find more great shows like this at wearelibertarians.com. Shows like We Are Libertarians with Chris Spangle, The Brian Nichols Show, The Boss Hog of Liberty, Now Hear This with Chris Spangle, Gingerarchy with Trisha Stewart Mann, and our training podcast, Upward Libertarian Activism. All of these shows are supported by our patrons. If you'd like to become a Patreon member, visit wearelibertarians.com. Thank you so much for listening to this show. 